Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Whatever else is to be said about Judas Iscariot, this must be reckoned with. He was numbered among us, that is the twelve, and was allotted his share in this ministry. When the lot then fell on Matthias, he was numbered with the eleven apostles. You can hear the subtle difference, numbered among, numbered with, though numbered doesn't say at all about what happened when the lot fell on Matthias. It's almost as if the eleven certified him by a vote. What went without saying, so I'll say it, is that when the lot fell on Matthias, he was allotted his share in the ministry of the apostles to bear witness to the resurrection. Today's is an interesting reading because it doesn't explicitly preach law and gospel. It's about the continuity of the apostolic ministry. Its use today is good timing. It occurs near the beginning of a new term, and perhaps even more, it occurs near the beginning of the summer quarter when some are just beginning to arrive to begin study for pastoral or diaconal service in this ministry. It's also timely in view of the fact that the alumni reunion begins today. This text is a good reminder to all who serve in this ministry that our share in this ministry is also allotted. It is as if a lot has fallen on us. There's always been a way of speaking in the church about how one becomes called to ministry. There is an exterior or external call that comes through the church. There also is an interior or internal call. Jaber Crow, Wendell Berry's barber of Port William, Kentucky, thought at one time when he was young that he had the call. He reports how at the age of about 14, I began to suspect that I might be called to preach My suspicion may have been no more than fear, for with all my heart I disliked the idea of becoming a preacher. But for as long as I could remember, I had been hearing preachers tell in sermons how they had received the call. What was so frightening to me about this call was that once it came to you, it was final. There was no arguing with it. You fell blind off your horse, and then you did what the call told you to do. I knew too well that when another Jonah Jaber's Christian name was Jonah. When another Jonah had refused the call to preach, he was permitted to change his mind in the belly of a great fish. This possibility of being called began to keep me awake of a night. I'd heard no voice, but probably because I was starting to respond at about that time to the distant calling of girls, I could not shake the notion that I was being called by something that I knew nothing about. I knew the story of the boy Samuel, how he was called in the night by a voice speaking his name. I could imagine so clearly that I could almost hear it, a voice calling out of the darkness, J. Crow. And then I thought maybe the voice had called and that I had almost but not quite heard it. One night I got out of bed and went to the window. The sky over the treetops was full of stars. Whispering so as not to waken my roommate, I said, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. And then, so help me, I heard the silence that stretched all the way from the ground underneath my window to the farthest stars, and the hair stood up on my head, and a shiver came into me that did not pass away for a long time. 
Though I knew that actually I had heard no voice, I could not dismiss the possibility that it had spoken and I had failed to hear it because of some deficiency in me or something wrong I had done. My fearful uncertainty lasted for months. As the siren song of girls became ever stronger in my mind, I wondered if maybe that was the trouble. Finally, I reasoned that in dealing with God, you had better give him the benefit of the doubt. I decided that I had better accept the call that had not come, just in case it had come and I had missed it. Sometimes I imagined things about being a preacher that appealed to me. I thought that if I became a preacher, I would have learned a great deal during my education and I would spend a lot of my time reading. I liked those thoughts and also the thought that I would live in a nice town with shady streets and be well-loved and admired by my congregation. But the thought that I liked most was that I would have a wife. And so, he says, I became a pre-ministerial student at Pigeonville College, beginning a curriculum of courses designed to prepare me for the pulpit. Jaber didn't last at Pigeonville. Questions arose that didn't have ready answers. He finally admitted this to one of his teachers and also acknowledged, I had this feeling maybe I had been called. His teacher answered, and you may have been right, but not to what you thought, not to what you think. Jaber's teacher told him he could not be given answers to his questions. That put Jaber in a tight spot. Where would he search out the answers? He chose to leave the college and search out his answers in the course of living. And it's Wendell Berry's novel. This is the decision he makes for Jaber. But Jaber could have stayed and studied, and he'd have begun to find some answers. Not every such answer would feel satisfactory, but the study of theology, the study of God, is as much about understanding what we cannot say as it is about what we can. We also hear a fair amount in the church today about passion for ministry. What's striking about this morning's reading, however, is that no notice is taken of any passion on the part of the candidates for ministry. The 11 put up, literally stood, Joseph Barsabbas, a.k.a. Justice, and Matthias as a slate. They were deemed qualified because they had been part of the company during all of the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among them. There is no indication that they sought the office of this ministry. They did not put themselves forward. We hear a fair amount in the church today about casting a vision as if we might know something about a preferred future and how to get there. The 11 instead cast lots because they acknowledged what they didn't know and prayed, Lord, you know the hearts of all. He sure does. Not only our hearts, but also our minds and our capabilities and everything else there is to know about us. He probably will use us in spite of ourselves in ways that we might recognize, but also perhaps in ways we didn't anticipate, we didn't seek. We're here this morning, those who have served, those who are still serving, and those who are preparing to serve in this ministry. Each of us probably felt some sense of calling to it. More importantly, however, 
the church and its pastors stood us, put us up as candidates for it. And so we are here to celebrate, to continue in, and to prepare for service in this ministry. And at the center of it all is one thing, the witness to the resurrection. By baptism, we all have become witnesses to it. It's in our DNA as people of God. That lot falls on all who believe. Jesus is risen, he has ascended, and next week we commemorate again the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Jesus had told his disciples before his passion, you did not choose me, I chose you and appointed you in order that you go and bear fruit, fruit that will endure. It's better that way. I do not choose, you do not choose, the church's Lord chooses through the church. It's better that way because when he chooses, we can be confident that he will supply everything we need to perform the ministry to which he calls us, which is to speak the word of warning and judgment, of comfort and peace and promise, of confidence in the devotion of God to his people. Whether your calling is pastoral or diaconal or lay, do it well. It is your office. And so I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance with all who are being sanctified. Amen.